Hello and welcome to Hillcrest To Go. I'm your host, John Parker. Today, Dr. Tom Goodman continues our 40 Days of Prayer series with a message titled, Prayer That Pleases God. Now, an important message from Dr. Tom Goodman. You know, we call a person mature when they know how to handle their emotions, when they know how to handle their commitments. We call an investment mature when we can reach a point when we can start drawing money out of it. A farmer calls a crop mature when it's ready for harvest. How do we know when our prayer life is mature? I want us to look today at four marks of mature praying. I'm going to read Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4, and as I read these, maybe you will identify, even before we get to them, the four marks of mature prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer, Paul writes, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Now in this passage, Paul says that their prayers ought to be persistent and alert and grateful and outreach-minded. Those are the marks of mature praying. I want you to write these four points down as we come to them, but I also want you to be thinking as we study through this, which of these four marks do you need to work on the most right now? I think as we go through them, you're probably going to say, I need work on all four of them, but which of the four marks do you need the most work on right here and now? And so I want you to fill out these words as we come to them, but be ready at the end to circle one of these words and then identify the, the mark of prayer maturity that you need to work on right now. Here's the first point to write down. Prayer that pleases God is persistent prayer. Paul wrote, devote yourselves to prayer. Now Jesus was so pleased with persistent prayer that he told not just one, but two parables about it. In the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 11, he tells a humorous parable. In Luke chapter 18, he tells a darker parable, but both of the parables point to persistence in prayer. In Luke chapter 11, he, he told about a friend knocking on a neighbor's door at midnight. And even though this was a friend, uh, the neighbor didn't want to let him in. He didn't want to be bothered. It was the middle of the night. But this friend was persistent and said, somebody has come from a long way to my house. I need to be a good host for them. I don't, I don't have enough provisions. Please provide me some bread so I can take care of my friend who has come. And simply because he was persistent, his friend finally, reluctantly got up and let him in the house. That was intended as a humorous uh, parable. But then in Luke chapter 18, he tells a darker parable about a widow trying to get justice from a corrupt judge. And finally, the judge gives in, not because he cares about the widow, not because he cares about the justness of her cause, but he just wants her to quit asking him. Now, in both of these stories, Jesus wanted us to see that on earth, before imperfect people, imperfect friends or corrupt judges, if we are desperate enough, we will continue to ask until our need is met. 
Jesus says, how much more ought we then to be persistent as we come before the throne of a God we know loves us and cares about what's going on in our lives? Prayer that pleases God is persistent prayer. The Colossian people probably knew something about this kind of prayer just by looking at their pastor. His name is Epaphras. His name shows up twice in the book of Colossians in the first chapter and in the last chapter. And uh, Epaphras was actually with Paul when, he, when Paul wrote this letter. And Paul said of him in Colossians chapter 4, verse 12, Epaphras is always wrestling in prayer for you. The Greek word we translate wrestling there is agonizamonos. Can you hear the word agonize in that word? That's where we get the English word uh, from. It's from that Greek word. And so Paul is speaking of of this pastor wrestling, agonizing in prayer on behalf of his people. And so think about these words that Paul is using here. Devote yourselves to prayer. Your pastor is wrestling in prayer for you. Is that the way you describe your prayer? Some of us would probably say no. You know, I do good to pray over a few sips of coffee in the morning. I do good to pray a few sentences in between yawns before I go to bed at night. That doesn't sound like agonizing in prayer though, does it? It may be that uh, when you get to the end of this list today and you commit to one of these things to work on, it might be this one that you want to circle, that you want to devote yourselves. You want to wrestle and agonize more in prayer. You used to do that. You used to have stretches where you were desperate about something. Maybe you need to be desperate about something again and be more persistent with prayer. Here's a second word to write down, alert. Prayer that pleases God is alert prayer. Paul wrote, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful. I'm sure you've noticed this throughout the Bible, throughout the New Testament, especially how often the words watch and pray go together. Uh, Jesus, most famously in the the Garden of Gethsemane, told his, his sleeping disciples to watch and pray so that they would not fall into temptation. Sometimes we think of the word watch in connection with prayer, and we simply mean, we assume it means that we just need to be awake, that we need to concentrate better while we are in the midst of praying. But it has more to do than that. When the Bible tells us that we are to watch and we are to pray, it means that we are to keep our eyes open, that we are to be alert to what is going on around us, and that ought to lead us to prayer. In fact, it ought to develop, you've heard of a, a vicious cycle before, this ought to be a virtuous cycle that develops as you, as you are alert to what is going on around you and that prompts you to pray and as you pray, that most makes you more spiritually sensitive to what is going on around you and with that greater alertness, you pray all the more, it becomes a virtuous cycle. Some of us need to be more alert and therefore pray. Now, if we should be watchful, for what should we be watching? two things that that we should watch for. We should watch for the activity of God and we should watch for the activity of our spiritual enemy. As we look for the activity of God around us and our church and our family and our nation, as we look for the ways that Satan might want to work against our church or against our citizenry or against our family, that ought to make us pray. We ought to be alert to these types of things. So first of all, we ought to be alert to the activity of God. Watchful praying is when a Christian parent, a Christian dad, senses his child's growing interest in salvation, and he prays for the development of that interest. 
I thought it was interesting just yesterday, I ran across what Vody Balkum said. He said, you know, dads, if you're always telling your son to keep your eye on the ball, but you never tell your son to keep your eye on Christ, you're doing it wrong. We need to make sure as parents, as dads especially, that we are watchful for what is happening spiritually in our kids' lives. And when we see something developing, we ought to pray for it. Watchful praying is when a woman notices what is going on in her church. Something is stirring. Something is happening. And she prays for the development of that and the expansion and the spread of that. We ought to watch and we ought to pray. We ought to watch for the activity of God and pray for more and more of that to happen. But we also ought to watch for the activity of the evil one and pray against that. I remember it was some years ago in a previous church that I was serving. I, I, I had a, a, a man preach in my place in the pulpit. He, he, he was a Vietnam veteran, and so he, he preached about, uh, and he used an illustration in the midst of that preaching about his experience in Vietnam. He said that his battalion would set up a fire base in the jungle with these huge eight-inch guns, and, and then companies of soldiers would fan out in four directions from that base. And when they encountered the enemy, the enemy was always far greater in number than they were. They weren't to engage with the enemy, though. They were to call in the coordinates of the enemy. And then those huge guns would send shells into those coordinates, into the enemy. And he said in this sermon that, that you and I are God's forward observers. That we are to recognize and we are to notice the activity of the spiritual enemy at work in our midst, in our families, in our church, in our communities. And when we notice that, when we see that, we ought to call into heaven those coordinates so the firepower of heaven might come down against that. And I'll tell you, ever since he used that illustration, it has revolutionized the way that I understand prayer. I am one of God's forward observers, and you are too. And we're to notice, we're to recognize when our spiritual enemy is at work. And instead of trying to directly engage the enemy, what we're to do is call down the firepower of heaven. Prayer that pleases God is alert prayer. We've got to obey those scriptures that repeatedly tell us to watch and to pray. We ought to pray for the divine activity we see around us. We ought to pray against the demonic activity we see around us. Now let me ask you, is that the word that you need to circle today? I said that there's going to be one word I'll ask you to circle at the end of listing off these things. One thing that you want to work on more than anything else on this list. Maybe it's this. Again, alert prayer is not just being more focused in your prayers. It's being watchful to what's going on around you and turning those things into prayer requests. And the reality is that we're not often mindful of what is going on around us because we are so immersed in our own plans, our own pains, our own pleasures that we don't see how God is working around us or we don't see how the enemy is working around us. And maybe what you need to do is make a commitment today to be a more watchful person who prays. Now, there's a third mark of mature prayer here. We should pray not only in anticipation for what we want God to do, but also in appreciation for what God has done. Paul says that we should not only be watchful in our prayers, but also, and mark this down, grateful. Prayer that pleases God is grateful prayer. And I believe that grateful prayer is prayer that takes the time and takes the thought and takes the effort to be more specific than we often are about the things we ought to be grateful for. I mean, there is certainly a time, there's certainly a place 
uh, in some settings to say, Lord, bless all the missionaries. Thank you for all our many blessings. Amen. Uh, you know, when uh, I was a dad with small boys, I learned how to pray short prayers at the mealtime. It was dangerous to keep my eyes closed too long with those boys at the table. Sometimes it's really useful to pray generic prayers. But I think that we need to recognize that uh, some of us, that's just become our habit. That is our prayer life. Not just in public settings, not just at the close of Sunday school, but that is our prayer life, is just to pray these broad, generic prayers. And it may be out of laziness. It may be just we just don't want to take the effort and the energy to, you know, think through how God has blessed our lives. It may be worse than that, though. It may be because we have started to attribute all the things that have come to our lives as something that comes to us through natural causes. Or even worse than that, we've begun to attribute all the things that come to our lives as things that have come to our lives because of us, because of our strength, because of our smarts, because of our wits, because of our cleverness. And we not once really think through how God has been the source of all of these good things that have come into our lives, things that we did not deserve, and yet they were ours by his hand anyway. How specific are you in listing off your gratitude to God? I'm sure you've run across Psalm 103 in your Bible reading. There the sacred poet took time to list off the reasons he was glad in God. He began, praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And then he rattles off the Lord's benefits, forgiving sins, healing diseases, redeeming life, crowning the saved with love and compassion, satisfying desires with good things. The singer's gratitude there was specific and it was pointed. Now, if you'll take the time to do this, <clears throat> I think it will transform not only your prayer life uh, specifically, I think it'll transform the general approach that you take to life. When my heart is clouded with doubt and hesitation and fear, I list off the things for which I am thankful, and I am reminded of the ways that God has worked in the past, and my doubting heart is confident again that the God who's worked in the past in my life will work in the present. When my soul is depressed, I take inventory of the way that he has worked in my life, and my sighs turn into songs. When I am tempted, I think through what it took, what it cost for God to save me, the cost of his own son's life on the cross. And when I think through that and I'm grateful for that, temptations flee away. Prayer that pleases God is thankful prayer. And of these four words that we're looking at today, that may be in the end the one that some of you want to circle. You've taken for granted the things that are blessings in your life, and you haven't counted them, seen them as blessings. Somebody said that too many times we Christians are like hogs in an apple orchard. We enjoy all the fruit and never look up to see where it came from. The reality is that some of us may well be like that. And of all these four things that we need to develop, this is the one we need to develop the most. We need to be thankful. We need to be grateful once again in our prayers. Here's a fourth word, though, I want you to write down. Prayer that pleases God is outreach-minded prayer. In verse 3, he wrote, And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, and that I may proclaim that message clearly. So Paul not only prayed for his churches, we see him praying for his churches, usually at the start of most of his letters. He prayed for his churches, and he told them what he was praying for. 
But often he also, and many times it was at the end of his letters, that he asked his people to pray for him as well. And so we find, for example, in Romans chapter 15, verse 30, I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. To join me in my struggle. How? By sending me a thank you note from time to time. Sure, that'd be nice, but there's something more. By... uh, by uh, telling me what a good job I'm doing, sure, that'd be nice, but something more. Paul said, join my, in my struggle in this way by praying to God for me. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 25, he said, brothers, pray for us. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, he wrote, finally, brothers, pray for us. Now, this is true not only of an ancient missionary like the Apostle Paul, it's true of the missionaries we know today. Some of you know uh, missionaries personally. Some of you have met personnel from the International Mission Board when they've had an occasion to come and speak at our church, the number one request that our missionaries make is not for money. They appreciate financial support through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering and special offerings to the International Mission Board, but that's not the first and most urgent thing they ask for. The first and most urgent thing they ask for is not that you would go on a two-week mission trip using your vacation time to go and spend some time with them on a foreign country. They appreciate that. They need that. But that's not the most urgent. That's not the first thing they ask for. The urgent thing, the first thing they ask for is for your ongoing prayers. Why? Because they knew the same thing that the Apostle Paul did 2,000 years ago, that there's a tremendous impact we can make even on the other side of the world when we pray for those who are ministering on our behalf in some other place. When we make a list of prayer requests in our life group, I imagine that most of the things that occupy the lists as you get ready to wrap up your life group hour are things where people are sick or grieving or in need of employment. And when you are sick and when you are grieving and when you are in need of employment, you're glad somebody's praying for you. So keep doing that. Let's also make sure that we spend some time listing off and praying for people that we know, that each other knows, who need a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not very often at our prayer, our our life group do our prayer lists include those who need salvation. Our prayers should include that. Our prayers should include the fact that we want our life group to grow numerically with more people who want to come in curious about how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We ought to pray for that. Prayer that pleases God is outreach-minded prayer. Now, according to our text, outreach-minded prayer lifts up two prayer requests that are outreach-minded. We should ask God to open doors for us, and we should ask God for the courage to go through those doors when he opens them for us. So there are two things to write down on your notes. First of all, opportunities. Pray for opportunities. Paul said, Pray for us that God may open a door for our message. Now, that's an interesting phrase, an open door. That was one of Paul's favorite phrases. You can find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. He said, but I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened for me. And again, you can find it in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 12. In Troas, the Lord, quote, has opened a door for me. And now there is this request here in Colossians chapter 4. Pray that God will open a door for us. Pray that he will give us the opportunities to share Jesus. Now, when Paul wrote the Colossian letter, where was he? 
He was in prison. But you notice he didn't pray. He didn't ask the people, pray that God will open this prison door for me. I'm sure he would have, been, would have been happy if that would have happened. But that wasn't his priority. That wasn't his focus. Whether God opened the prison door or not, he was asking for a door to open so that an opportunity might be given so that he might share the good news with people around him. So we read in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 14, in which he is speaking about this same time when he is in prison. And he says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, that is my imprisonment, has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear to the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. So here's a guy who knew that even if he was behind the closed door of a prison, he could still have the open door to communicate the good news to other people. In fact, it's interesting, that's how the Acts of the Apostles closes. Have you ever noticed that? The last two words in the Acts of the Apostles is without hindrance. Dr. Luke was writing about that time when Paul was in prison. He was in his own apartment, but he was between two Roman guards. He was awaiting uh, his trial before uh, Caesar. And uh, the Acts of the Apostles doesn't tell us about that trial. It just ends at this point with Paul in prison and yet the words that end the Acts of the Apostles, perhaps deliberately, are without hindrance. Take a look, verses 30 and 31 of Acts chapter 28. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God, taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So Paul is not simply asking here in Colossians chapter 4, that the people would pray that he would be released from prison. He was praying that a door of opportunity to share the good news would open up for him regardless of his circumstances. Certainly we need to pray for a change in our circumstances when we're sick or when we're in pain or when we are unemployed or whatever our circumstances may be. Let's, let's pray for that. Let's ask other people to pray for that. But let's not assume that those circumstances are the open or closed door to communicate the gospel. Because regardless of what's happening in our lives, God can open a door for us to communicate the good news to somebody else. And so we need to ask that God would do that very thing. You know, I think some of us, we feel that evangelism is some uh, process by which we artificially shoehorn the name Jesus into some conversation in some sort of awkward way. I think if we understood that evangelism is really just seeing the open doors of opportunity that God grants us, we would find it to be a lot more natural process. But of course, it does no good to pray for those types of open doors if we don't have the inclination or the courage to go through them. And so we ought to pray not only for opportunities, but here's the second word to write down on your notes, boldness. Outreach-minded prayer asks for bold use of the opportunities that God grants. He says, pray for open doors, but then he says, pray that I may proclaim the message clearly. It's just another word in this instance for courageously, unashamedly, without hesitation. 
Paul prayed the same thing in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. And then he said it again, pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Now, I don't know about you, but you run across that and you think Paul needed to ask people to make him fearless and courageous. He needed to ask people to ask God to make him that way. I mean, Paul seems to be the most courageous person in the pages of the Bible. He's always going around planting churches. He's always going around preaching. He gets beat up in one town for sharing the gospel, and he just dusts himself off and heads off to another town and does the same thing again. But maybe it wasn't just his stubborn personality that caused him to do that. Maybe it wasn't just the bolt of cloth he was cut out of that made him do that. Maybe it was the answer to people's prayers that made him courageous and open and expressive about the gospel with other people. He asked continually that God would make him bold, that God would bring him through the doors that God opened up for him. And so we need to ask for that too. Now, I want you to circle, now that we filled out all four of those words, I want you to circle one of those words on your outline. I, I want you to look at this list and, and, and don't just go, wow, I, I, I need work on all four of these things now that you've described them to me. That may be true, but this week, this, this, the remainder of this year, which one do you most want to work on right now? Maybe it's that first word that we came to, persistence. You want to be more devoted. You want your prayer life to be characterized as wrestling in prayer on behalf of other people. Maybe you're circling the second word. You want to be more alert, not just more focused in your prayer time, that's good, but more conscious, more aware of the activity uh, in the spiritual realm that's going on around you and praying for God's activity and against Satan's activity. Maybe you want to circle that third word, thankful. You recognize now that you've just taken for granted too many things that have gone on in your life and you want to be a person who's more uh, open to expressing gratitude to God in specific ways. Or maybe you've got to acknowledge that really it's that fourth one that you want to work on the most right now. It's been the most neglectful. Again, these are marks of mature prayer. And if this fourth one isn't ever in your prayer life, you're not really there when it comes to mature praying. And so maybe that's the one that you want to circle. That's the one that I circled several months ago as we started coming out of slowly through fits and starts, coming out of these COVID restrictions, I started praying for open doors, for opportunities to happen in our church once again, for uh, people that uh, perhaps we could make an impact on because they were coming curious about how to have a relationship with Jesus, whether this, this God even existed, whether he could do something for them. And I wanted to have the honor and the privilege to uh, directly impact their lives and be a pastor who pastored a church that impacted their lives. And so I, I started praying in this way and I want to continue to pray in this way. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to, by show of hands, indicate which of these that you circled. And so is it the first one? Raise your hand if you want to be more persistent in your prayer life. Thank you. How about is it the second one that you want to be more alert? more awake to what's going on around you and pray about that. Thank you. What about the third one? Grat great, uh, gratitude, gratefulness, that you want to be more grateful. How about this fourth one? Outreach-minded prayer. Pray that God would open doors 
and that we'd have the courage to go through those doors and the willingness to go through those doors as God opens them. I want us to pray for praying right now. I want to pray that your desire to be more mature in your prayer life will actually happen as we move through these commitments in the remainder of this year. But before we close, I want to share one more thing because today's scripture was written to Christians and so I'm, I targeted everything today at those who are believers in Jesus Christ. We need maturity in our prayer life. But some of you today and online and in this building, you are not yet a believer in Jesus Christ. And I want to speak directly to you for a moment. Because in this passage, Paul says that he was in chains for preaching what he called the mystery of Christ. Did you see that phrase, the mystery of Christ? What was he referring to? Well, in the Colossian area, there were what were known in the first century world as mystery religions. And I won't get into too deeply what all that means, but basically uh, what it means is that there were people who said, you know, I can tell you the secret to get you to a whole new level of experience if you just come and join my cult. If you just come and join my organization, nobody else will know it but you. The great secret to get to a whole new level of experience and a whole new level of spirituality. You want to come and join my cult? And so Paul, in an ironic way, in kind of a tongue-in-cheek way, said, I'm preaching a mystery. I'm preaching the mystery of Christ. And I said he he was saying it in a tongue-in-cheek sort of way because it wasn't a secret. He was proclaiming it openly. And it wasn't just for people who wanted to come in and have it whispered into their ear. He wanted everybody to know this, this mystery, this, this truth, and come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to do that as well. There are many of us around this building who are believers, and we need to become more mature in our prayer life. But you, you need to receive the mystery of Christ, the gospel of the kingdom. You need to know that God is for you, that he... Uh, sent his son to this earth to live our kind of life and die our kind of death so that our sin might be taken away and we might have an eternal relationship with God starting right here and starting right now. And so I want to pray for you if you're a believer or not yet a believer. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, make us mature in every way, including in the way we pray. Make us persistent and alert and grateful and outreach-minded. And I pray for those who need to discover what Paul called the mystery of Christ, the gospel, the good news that you, God, you offer forgiveness and a fresh start in your son, Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This concludes our podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Join us next time as Dr. Goodman shares a sermon titled Praying Together. I'm your host, John Parker, and this has been Hillcrest To Go. For more information, please contact us at hillcrest.church.